0: Join me in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. When it comes to the book of Hebrews, there is a great deal of history and setting that comes into the book. One of the things that makes Hebrews an interesting book to study in Scripture is that we don't know for certain who the author of the book is. Now, I will, I am sure, say that when Paul wrote this at some point, either this week or next week, because I genuinely believe that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. Regardless, we know that it is an inspired work of God for us today. And so when we come to Hebrews, though we don't know the author, we know the setting extremely well. The book of Hebrews was written from an Old Testament point of view to help those that were at the time and shortly after the time of Christ understand who Christ was in light of all of the Old Testament. So it was written specifically to Jews, and probably even more so, it was written to many who were involved in the priesthood there, at the sacrificial system, as they would go to the temple day in and day out, and they would see the sacrifices, they would go before the brazen altar, they would watch all that transpired. ...many of them knowledgeable enough to know that all of this was just a picture of the Messiah who was to come. The problem is, they were so steeped in the tradition of all that they had learned and known... ...that they couldn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. There were some, though, that had come to the place to where they recognized the Messiahship of Christ... And as they gave their life to Jesus Christ, it created extreme difficulties for them in their family. It was very common in that day for an individual who would come and accept Christ as their Savior to then have their family turn their back completely on the individual who had trusted in Christ. So much so that the family would often have a funeral ...for the individual who had trusted in Christ... ...who had turned to Christianity... ...because they were now dead to the family. What would then happen is time would pass... ...and the teaching of Scripture was still unfolding in some ways in their minds... ...and an individual who thought that the Messiah was going to set up his kingdom right away... ...that kingdom didn't come right away. And so now they began to have questions... Was this Jesus that I put my faith in? Was this Jesus that I turned my back on my family for? Was this Jesus really the Messiah? Or did I make a mistake? Hebrews was written for those that were just somewhat unsure of whether they were right in what they believed. Today Hebrews has much the same purpose. There are many who have grown up in church. They have grown up hearing their parents say... ...this to be true, this to be true, this to be true about God. And yet, they've watched their friends. And and they've watched them maybe even walk away from God. They've watched them out living a life that is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. And they go, "But, but what about them? Hebrews is written to that young person today... ...to help them understand... ...that it is worth it. That it is true. You see, the whole theme of the book of Hebrews... ...can be summed up in a simple phrase. The supremacy or the preeminence of Christ. You see, Christ is superior to every other option in the world. When it comes right down to it... ...religions for centuries... ...have come trying to help man... ...get a better grasp of a God... Christianity bursts on the scene, and as Christianity unfolds during this time, it is not try to get to know God, it's here is God. Join me in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. There was a process in which God revealed himself. It was a progressive process. God did not reveal all of who he is to mankind in the beginning. Instead, there was this progressive revelation of who God is. And at times, God revealed more and more about himself. On Sunday mornings, over the past several months, we looked at how God was revealing the nature and character of himself through the Ten Commandments. But there was so much about God that he would reveal. I can remember Several years ago, we went to see sight and sound. I believe that there is one in Missouri and there is one in Pennsylvania. And the one in Pennsylvania was about four hours from where we lived. And so we took a group up. I had never been. And we went up there. And I was impressed at the magnitude, the size of the production. And they were doing Jonah. And so we sat there. And when I say we, there was the group from the church, Kara and I, and Mariah was itty-bitty at the time. So basically what happened is I got to watch it and Karen and Mariah ended up outside. But but we're there and here they begin to unfold the story of Jonah. And if you've ever been to Sight and Sound, there are things that we know biblically to be true in the story of Jonah. There are other aspects of the story that we don't know for a fact how those unfolded. So they admit and they come out at the very beginning and they say we take artistic liberty in the areas that we don't know... ...to try to express how we best think it would have occurred. As they began to unfold, Jonah is seen as this prophet who was one who got a message from God. And it had been some years from his first prophecy until later on. And when he got a message from God, the people of the city and as they acted it out... They revered Jonah. They were so excited. They were celebrating. It was almost as if they had a parade in the streets because Jonah had gotten a message from God. In that day, when there was a prophet, there was such an awe of the prophet. There was a respect. Remember when Samuel goes to David's house and David's not there and he says, look, go go get the younger one. Bring him in. And he goes, we're not sitting down until he gets there. And everybody just stood around. You don't talk about awkward. They they just waited because the prophet had said so. There was such a revering because he had the word from God. And here in Hebrews, he says, look, there were were different times, different ways in which God revealed himself and helped us to understand just a little bit. But in every aspect, there was this reverence, there was this excitement. Now Jeremiah comes along. There's not excitement about the message Jeremiah is delivering. There's now an, oh no, there's And even Jeremiah didn't want to deliver the message Jeremiah had to deliver. But every time and in every way, a little more of God was revealed. Verse 2. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. When you see Jesus Christ... Now the revelation of God is completely different. Now it's, here's filling in a few gaps. Now it's him. It's him limited to humanity, but still completely God. And Paul's trying to get us to understand here, look, what we had in the past was just a a little glimpse of who God is. Now we have God. And the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And we're going to come break some of this down here in just a minute. Who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. ...sat down... ...well that's a great little phrase right there... ...he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high... ...being made so much better than the angels... ...as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they... Christ was superior in every way. Christ was the one who helped us understand just a glimpse of who God really is. You see, in Jesus Christ himself was all of the revelation that man needed to complete his understanding of God. The rest of the New Testament helps us understand how through Christ we have access to God. But Jesus Christ himself was the complete revelation that we needed of who God is. And if you ever wonder about the attributes, the character, how is God? Go back to the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Understand Jesus and you will get a better glimpse of who God is in his revelation. You see, in Christianity, it is God bursting into man's world and showing and telling man what he is like. Jesus is God and God in focus. Helping us to understand, helping us to see, helping us to get a clear vision of who God is. Hebrew, individual, you're struggling. I know you feel like this man was just a man who was a good man. I know you're beginning to question, why hasn't the kingdom come? Why hasn't he returned? Why hasn't he changed everything? Make no mistake. He is, was, and will always be God of very gods. And because His time is not your time, you just wait. But He is God. And He is so much better. So He begins to unfold all of who God is. He is the one by whom also He made the worlds. Why? Because He is ...the Son. He is the heir of all things. When we see that expression, that phrase, that he has become an heir... ...it is not heir in the sense that he is below. It is an heir in the sense that he is the executor of God's will... ...as far as the created universe is concerned. So when you look at Jesus Christ... He is superior to any angel. He's superior to any man because he is the heir of God. He is the executive. He is the executor of all things when it comes to this world. So you go back to verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. He is the executor. He is the one by whom also he made the world. It is through the power of Jesus Christ that the world were made. And why this is so important is because if he was the creator, if he is the one who made all things, therefore, if he created, he has to have been in existence to create. So it is not as if Jesus was made. He is the one who was there to do all of the making. Interestingly, it says here in Hebrews that he made the world. The word translated world here is not the normal Greek word cosmos as we would know it. It is the word which means the ages, all of time. Jesus not only made the universe, but he brought space, time, and matter into existence. Jesus is he who was before history, at the beginning of history, and will be at the end of history. Colossians helps us to understand this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. We have here in Jesus Christ... God of very gods who is the maker of all things. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory. The express image of his person. The picture here is of this radiant nature of God. He is an heir. He is a creator. But he's actually the the very essence of. Shining forth of God. I love the the phrase here. The brightness of his glory. When you look up at the sun, really what you see is not the sun. You see the radiance of the sun. Because it is the shining forth of the power of the light that is coming off of the sun that actually gets to our eyes that we see. And when you think of God, Jesus Christ is that very glory, that very shining forth of who God is. And we're gonna come back to a phrase here in just a minute. But when you look at who God is in this unbelievable glory of who he is, Christ is the Father, excuse me, Christ is to the Father what the rays of sun are to the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory. As it is impossible to separate the rays from the sun, it is impossible to separate Christ's glory from the nature of God. He is very God. And he is his express image. He is the representation of God. The phrase express image has the idea of being engraved. It is like taking a stone or a signet... And pressing it into something that is softer to form an exact duplicate. To see every little nook and cranny. Everything that is in there. For those individuals who are into collecting coins. The the thing that makes that hobby such an excitement to them. The thing that makes a coin so rare and collectible. Is when in the imprint of that coin there's something wrong. There's a mistake. There's something that was done... ...and whether it was a double press of the coin... ...or whether there was a glitch in the mold... ...when there's something that shows a distinction... ...that makes it rare. You have a one-off exact duplicate... ...but it's not even that. It's not as if Christ was... ...here's God, impress, and now we make Christ. It is this exact express image. Jesus Christ... ...in His earthly body... ...helps us to understand so much of who God is... ...because there is nothing about Christ... ...that is not God. And so you have this perfect making here. He is the representation of the Father... ...and He is the sustainer of the universe. When we look here... ...that all things by the word of His power... ...He keeps the world's running... Consider what instant destruction would happen if the earth's rotation slowed down just a little. The sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it were any closer to us, we would burn up. If it were any further away, we would freeze. Our globe is tilted at an exact angle of 23 degrees, providing us with four seasons. If it were not so tilted, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, tides would flood the land completely twice a day. If the atmosphere did not remain at its present density but thinned out even a little, many of the meteors which now harmlessly burn up when they hit the atmosphere would constantly bombard us. How does the universe stay in this kind of unbelievably delicate balance? Global warming is not the answer. Jesus Christ is the one who is holding and keeping you and I... There in the middle of the verse, upholding all things. It is in his hand. He is the God of creation, the God of providence. He is the one who rules the universe. There again in Colossians 1.17, and by him all things consist. Jesus Christ is the redeemer we see here. He is the one who saves all mankind. For it is the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down. When the priest would go into the temple. He would go in and he would offer the sacrifice. And and he would offer the annual sacrifice there at Passover that we know about. But constantly, day in and day out, he was taking sin offerings. And they would come in and he would sprinkle blood. And he would take that offering that man came in as a burnt offering. To pay for the sin that they had committed. And the problem with the priest is when he finished one ...there was another right behind him... ...and another right behind him... ...and another right behind him. The sacrificial system was never done. The priest's job never finished. It is why they had to rotate through... ...the different individuals there in the house of Levi... ...so that someone didn't get burnt out... ...because it was this constant process. But Jesus Christ... ...He offers Himself the sacrifice... ...the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world... And then he sits down. It's done. There, there's no more sacrifice. There's no more accounting. The priest, he didn't get to sit down. There was never a chance. There was always something more to do. Jesus is done. He sits down on the right hand of majesty on high. First Peter 1:18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ was our Redeemer and He is the ruler of the universe. He is the one who is in control and powerful above all things. It is the word of His power. He has sat down right there on the right hand of majesty on high. We know a great deal about the temple in Jerusalem and its furnishings. But, fascinatingly, there were no chairs in this billion-dollar building that took 46 years to complete. There were no chairs because the priests of Israel never sat down. They never sat down because their work was never done. Their work was never done because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It was a stopgap. It was temporary. It was incomplete. And so priest after priest, course after course, year after year, century after century... With monotonous repetition, they would come to the temple. They would function, but they would never sit down. They could never rest, for their work was never done. The task was never completed. And yet Christ sits down in majesty on high. He is the ruler of the universe. And when the Hebrew individual looked at this and they struggled, did I make the right decision? Hebrews says to them, he is ...the preeminent one. He is the superior sacrifice. So then... ...we come to today. And we come to those that have questions. Well, What about this religion? What about that religion? Well, What if all of this isn't true? Have you ever had the thought? Have you ever heard the question? What if we're wrong? Well, if we're wrong... ...then Christ wasn't superior... And so you have to ask yourself, was he or was he not? Was Jesus Christ who he claimed to be? Is the historical record given to us in scripture true of Christ? Or is it not? Because if he's not superior, then our faith is in vain. But if he is, then there is no other answer. Oftentimes, those throughout history would look to spirits for answers. They would look to angels. So, this is addressed there in verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. Now, th- this is great. When you begin to look into just this simple phrase, being made, here being made is not a Greek word of creation, but of becoming. Let me give you an illustration. All right, if, if I made a cake, I would take ingredients, I would put them together, I would mix them, I would put them in the oven, and they would come out as something different than what they started as. I made the cake. If we said I was made the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church, I was not different than what I was. I became into a different role. There is a misunderstanding and a difficulty when it comes to Christianity among those that are outside the faith. They say you believe in one God, but yet you say there are three gods. How can you say there's only one God and yet there's three? Because you say there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The word made here in verse 4 helps us to understand that. Because Christ was not made in that he was created, he became the Son. Now, this is something I did not know for years... ...and as I have studied it out, I do believe it to be true. When you look, especially in the Old Testament... ...Jesus Christ is not referred to as the Son. He's referred to as the Messiah. When you look in the New Testament... ...and you see Jesus Christ referred to as the Son... ...He is referred to the Son during His time of incarnation. And so when He becomes... ...the Son, it is not as if Jesus was created as the Son of God in an inferior way. He became as an illustration to mankind of who God is. The term Son has only to do with Jesus Christ in his incarnation. It is during that time in his incarnated state that we refer to him as the Son... Sonship is an analogy to help us understand Christ's essential relationship. So as 100% God and 100% man, he becomes submissive to God because of the fact that he was man. But Jesus was still 100% God. So when you look at it and you say, well, how can the three be one? Because they are one. At this time in history, there is a different role that he's fulfilling in a more physical sense. Throughout eternity, there is a different role that the Son, Jesus Christ, filled, but it is now not in a physical sense. So, you would say, do you think it's then wrong to refer to Jesus Christ as the Son today? No, I I don't think that's wrong at all. Because I think it helps us understand the distinction of the roles of the Godhead. But when it comes to his sonship and him being made here in in verse 4... ...this made has to do with him becoming into this role of man. He is made so much better than the angels... ...as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. His name is God. He was made to be God and he has a name that is worthy of worship. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father and shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness and the scepter of thy kingdom. When you begin to see this role of son defined here... ...and again, this meant a lot to the Hebrews. This was a lot in their thinking and their struggles. Jesus Christ has become... ...he's come into this role of humanity... ...in which now he is showing you the relationship with the Father... He is the first begotten. But this firstborn is not a time word. It is a right to rule word. So it is not as if this word in their minds meant... Oh, he gave birth to the son. What this word in their mind meant... Is he was the one who had the authority to rule as the father rules. So it helped the Hebrews to understand that Jesus Christ... As he's made a man, he takes on human flesh, he's still God, and he's still that heir, and he still has that right to rule, and he still has that authority, because he's still God. Again, refers to that second coming. He says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten, Jesus is better than the angel's because he is better in name and nature. He created the angels we saw in Colossians 1.16. God the Father acknowledges Jesus Christ the Son as very God. He was existent before them. He created them. He will be existent after them. If Jesus were in the beginning to create, he must have existed before the beginning and therefore be without beginning. Verse 9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God... Even thy God hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same. And thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? The picture here is great. And and though when you read those verses, they sound so deep and they sound so theological, they're a huge picture. And they're really a huge relief. In all ...the religious systems... ...that this world has to offer... ...whatever they try to come up with... ...as an answer... ...know this... ...in the beginning... ...God created... ...and there at creation was Jesus... ...who always was and always will be... ...He is... ...the one who came to earth to help understand who God is... ...but who is God... ...and in coming before God... ...and stepping into that place as God... Here Jesus Christ is the one who we can turn to and know that he has all of the answers. He is the complete satisfaction. He is the heir. He's better. He's supreme. So there is no other answer. There is nowhere else that we go. There is no other solution. Jesus Christ is the solution. And for those who try to get to God through the system that he put up, not understanding the full picture of the system, it doesn't work. And for the young person today, for the adult today, who recognizes God, who has a belief in God, but is struggling about, do we have the right answer to God? Jesus is the answer. He is supreme. And so we come back to him. And when we as believers keep coming back to who Christ is, it changes the way we live. Because now it's no longer, well, I need to do this because that's what church people do. That's what independent fundamental Baptists do. We act that way. That's what my parents always taught us. That's what we do. No, we come back to Christ is supreme. So we look at how Christ lived knowing that Christ is God. And that he is the full revelation of who God is. And the better I know Christ, the better I know how to live. And when I try to live outside of Christ, that's where my problems begin. The Hebrews easily fell back into tradition. Tradition. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't do it. Come back to Christ. I look at you tonight and I say, don't fall back into anything. Run toward Christ. My Christian life is not about my knowledge of a few verses or memorization or facts. My Christian life revolves around my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I get the privilege of knowing him and he is better than the angels. He is supreme in every way. He is complete God. And I can come to him and know him. And when I know him, then I know God and I know how to live this life. Let's run to Christ.
1: You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that he will not cast out anyone who calls upon him. I hope that you will call on him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At hbcga.org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 10:45 on Sunday morning. for Sunday school 5 o'clock for the evening service And then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights Our services are warm and welcoming And you will feel right at home Come and visit us here at Harvest And call on us if you need us God bless you